Welcome to Think and Reimagined, produced by Live Abundantly. Live Abundantly is committed to justice, equity, equality, diversity, and inclusion for the creation of a global society which respects the rights and well-being of all citizens. We invite you to visit our website livesabundantly.com to support our initiatives for women, youth and children. Thinking Reimagined, changing the mindset for For a a better better global society. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Thinking Reimagined podcast. On this episode, we're talking about perhaps one of the most difficult challenges bedeviling our society. Call it rape, defilement, sexual harassment, or molestation. I think it leaves the same bad taste in the mouth. Sex offenses, as a matter of fact, is one of the leading criminal acts in Nigeria. I hear a colleague recently call it rape pandemic. And the act itself, as distasteful as it is, isn't even as damaging and as destructive as what I believe is the long-lasting impact it leaves on the victims. As we speak right now, social media in Nigeria is again agog over allegations of rape, and defilement against a popular Yoruba actor. Well, the story is that he allegedly defiled a girl when she was only seven years old, but the Guardian did not know this until many years after. So fast forward to now that she's 14 years, the suspect was again invited to the house, but this time CCTV cameras have been restored and according to the girl's Guardian, he was caught on tape molesting her. Well, it's very difficult to speak specifically to this matter. As you know, it's currently being investigated by the police. And unfortunately, uh, the judiciary worker strike was delayed, or rather has delayed the case being taken to court. Plus, there are many versions, there are many claims and many reactions to the story that cannot be currently verified. For instance, the trending claim that police is set to release the suspect was recently debunked by the Lagos State Police Commissioner. But let's talk about rape and child molestation because most times, the best we get at times like these are some emotional outbursts and reactions. So given time, it dies down until sadly another case of course of unfortunate kid the cycle continues. I am Nifabio Gutoy, and I'm joined by Executive Director, Leave Abundantly, Dr. Ama, on this episode. Dr. Ama, we seem to live in a very interesting time. Today, everyone has a platform to air their opinions. It's called the blessing and curse of social media. Uh, the fallout of this is a culture of misleading information and, and a lot of assumptions. When cases like this arise, people take sides. There are different conspiracy theories. There is the blame game. There's always a contention between what is the truth and what is public opinion. There are also two trials going on, the one in the court of law and the other in the court of public opinion. What do you make of this reality? Well, Nifemi, thank you very much for um, the brief overview of the situation regarding this particular um, incident. 
Um, I actually want to start by clarifying the terms, you know, sexual assault, rape, sexual violence, because I think that sometimes when it is used, it is not um, clear. It's it is not as clearly defined when people interchange those terms. The reality is sexual assault is any unwarranted criminal act against of a sexual nature, excuse me. So unwarranted sexual act or criminal act to be more perfect because it is a criminal act against another person. And sexual assault does include rape, which is the actual penetration of another individual. So a criminal act such as sexual assault could include kissing, touching, rubbing, groping, all of those things being done by the perpetrator or the perpetrator asking a child to do those things to the perpetrator for sexual gratification. But it, um, it goes further when you talk about um, rape where there's an actual penetration. But let me take this even further and talk about sexual violence. Sexual violence um, not only includes sexual assault, which is also rape, but it also includes the non-contact, non-contact where you're not physically touching somebody, but you've got the cat calls, the whistling, um, the watching of videos. Those are all non-contact, but it is still a form of violence. It is still um, denigration of another human being. And the results of that is usually incredibly traumatic and very harmful because it changes the psyche. So when we speak about um, sexual violence, I think it's important for us to break it down into sexual assault, rape, and to be even more specific, because as you noted, people get very emotional and speak about this um, for weeks and ends, and then it suddenly dies down until another case comes up. But it's important for us to educate the public, to educate children, to educate the community so that they understand that sexual violence, which is a much broader term, even includes the non-contact. So to say, oh, I didn't touch the person, I only whistled, I only, it's inappropriate. It is inappropriate. And it's a no. violation of another person's rights. So hopefully this will sort of give us a little bit more of a window. But before we go, I want to talk about sexual abuse because sexual abuse is a criminal act against children. It's not about an adult here, it's about a child. It's a criminal act against children. And in Nigeria, it is, it is believed that one in four girls are victims of sexual assault, sexual abuse and one in 10 boys. That statistic is very troubling. And you may be aware that as far back as 2015, UNICEF actually said that six in 10 Nigerian children experience emotional and physical assault before the age of 18. There's a lot of work to be done here in addressing this issue. And I agree with you that right now there's a hot topic and there have been so many over the last few months. And this one will sort of go to the side and we do not address the actual issue. That there's pedophilia, there's violence against children, 
there is assault against children and that the sexual violence, which is a key broader subject, is out of control in Nigeria. I like the fact of breaking it down uh, because we usually use these words interchangeably. So child defilement is different from you know, sexual harassment, there's rape, and there's a long list of detailed um, terms for um, different crimes. I just want to quickly turn your attention to the law as we have it, particularly as it regards to rape. Um, the challenge of providing burden of proof. I know we have a criminal code, there's the penal code, there's the criminal laws of Lagos. And um, a lot has been done for the years in fine-tuning these laws and making, um, for instance, now the penalty for rape across all the laws is life imprisonment, even though it's not a mandatory sentence in all of them. It's important, however, to note that in all the three laws that I mentioned earlier, rape can only occur when the vagina of the woman is penetrated. Most times, this poses some form of difficulty to prove and that's where my question lies, the burden of proof. What do you recommend uh, that victims do in order to preserve evidence? For instance, the current case online, I'm not sure that the guardian would have waited for the girl to be defiled, you know, while this act was recorded. So when they get to court, I don't know, so I'm just, um, you know, painting a theory. When they get to court, they may not have evidence of proof. When it comes to what the law defines rape to be, which is actual penetration. Um, Nifemi, you're absolutely correct in terms of rape being penetration, but it's actually penetration of the vagina or anus with a body part or an object. So if you choose to use an object on another human being, you've actually raped them. It's the penetration, it's the act of penetration, whether it's with a body part or an object. That is the definition of rape. Um, I do want to just go back very slightly to a comment you made about sexual harassment. Um, sexual harassment generally occurs in the work area, um, which is slightly different because you're using your power, your authority to um, implicitly, explicitly in some cases, um, manipulate the working conditions so that you can gain some sexual favors. You know, it also encompasses gender harassment and um, unwanted attention. So again, it's being careful with those terms that we use because you will not necessarily have sexual harassment with a child, but you can have sexual assault with a child. You can use the term um, sexual violence and of course rape, but the word sexual harassment is actually more in a work setting using your power to manipulate and to implicitly and explicitly uh, try to get sexual favors. Um, having said that, I mean, um, how do we get the information to support rape um, in, in a case? Well, the first and most important thing, and I've always stated this, is that we need to report these acts as soon as they are they, be, they come to light. Very often, um, and, and particularly in this case as well, it sounds like some sort of molestation, um, sexual assault, a court of some sort, but it was not reported and then there was a delay in the reporting. My biggest concern very often is that these things that are 
they, they try to solve them within the family, within the community. But it is a criminal act. And because it's a criminal act, it must be reported as soon as possible. And evidence, you know, there are rape kits that can be um, utilized to gather evidence that can then be used in court. Um, if, you, if there is no sexual penetration and if you can't prove it, although there are ways to prove it, then you're left with dealing with sexual assault, which is the touching, the groping, and all of those other things. Um, it's a lesser crime, but it is still a crime. And I'm more concerned about people reporting these crimes and bringing the perpetrators to book and the law following through, the, the, the necessary agencies following through and making sure that there is recourse and redress for, for, the, for the victims. Um, so um, what characterizes cases like this often is also the blame game. So online you see people blame the victim, they blame the victim for putting he or herself in sort of situation for what she was wearing, for being careless, they blame the abuser for apparent reasons, they blame parents for being careless with their words, they blame the society, they blame government, but oftentimes everyone has someone to blame except themselves. Do you think that stakeholders are taking enough responsibility, seeing how this has more or less become a recurrent decimal in our society? Well, here's the thing that I am going to start by stating. You cannot blame a child for a sexual assault. A child is not capable of giving permission for a sexual act to be performed on them or to be forced to participate in a sexual act. A child does not have the capability. The other thing we have to remember is very often it is a family member, it is a trusted friend, it is somebody known to the victim that perpetrates these acts of violence. Uh, so how do you how do you teach a child that if your uncle or a family friend, and it could be an auntie, you know, I'm not going to say that there's no violence, there's no assault that occurs across the female male line. That's not true because rape does occur where women are the perpetrators or sexual assault. And you can see I'm trying to make this clear definitions because I want people to understand the difference. But if we're going to say use the word sexual assault for today because that includes rape, um, it is very important that we start at a very early age to teach our children to understand when they're being violated, one. Two, to create an environment in the home or in the school where a child can report when they've been violated. It's very important. And three, that we act upon that information when it comes to light. Um, I said it earlier, very often, Families don't want people to know because they don't want to be victimized, they don't want to be stigmatized, they don't want to be labeled. But the detrimental trauma to the victim outweighs all of that. And so it is important that more be done in terms of speaking up, in terms of educating, and in terms of being proactive. 
Um, having said all of this, as you know, we have the Child Rights Act that is not being implemented in all of the states and it needs to be. We really must be a proactive society that takes this matter as very serious and makes it a priority. And by doing that, the emphasis lies not on blaming the victim and the family of the victim, but really in making sure that the perpetrator pays for that crime. It's brought to book the more frequently that these matters go through a trial and there is a sentencing to put on the sexual, um, sexual violence um, registry, the, the more you're going to have an inroad in dealing with this issue within this country. So you began your submission by saying that a child doesn't have what it takes to give consent. I just quickly want to turn your attention to um, the penal code that defines sex with a girl under 14 years of age, irrespective of whether there is consent as rape. Um, are you concerned about the age cap? Because what that implies is that sex with a girl of 15, for instance, can be considered legal if consent can be proven. So it brings up the question of who is a child in Nigeria. Well, as a member state um, of the United Nations, Nigeria does define a child as anyone under 18. If you're a member state of the United Nations, and as far as I know in Nigeria, under 18, you are a child. So to say that um, consent of sex with a child, a girl of 14, how does a girl give you consent at age 14? Who is in power here? The child or the adult who is pressuring the child into sex? So no, a child under 18 who, is, who cannot give consent, in my opinion, cannot give consent with somebody who is more powerful, physically, mentally, emotionally, than a 14-year-old. It's not possible. 18 is the age of adulthood, and that is the age that we need to recognize, and that is the age that's stated in the Child Rights Act. So, Dr. Ahmed, there is one thing that is ideal. There is the other that is our reality. In northern Nigeria, we are accustomed with the issue of forced marriage, a situation where children who can barely tell the difference between their right and left enter into marriage that marriages are considered legal in that part of the country um well there's a lot of cultural and religious background to this development but how far do you think we are from getting it right well there's the word that you used forced marriage forced if you're forced into a marriage then you're not giving consent to go into that marriage. You're compelled to go into that marriage because your parents or the adults in your life have given you into that marriage. You're forced into it. There's no consent there. There is no consent. That's why it's called forced marriage. So until you can actually say, I want to be married or I'm going to accept a marriage proposal, you're forced. That's forced marriage. And that is a violation and it's against the law. I know in Northern Nigeria, it occurs. Again, many of those states have not adopted the Child Rights Act because of that law. 
that says marriage cannot occur legally in Nigeria, which is the constitution that we all go with before the age of 18. So if we can get more states to enact the Child Rights Act, which will protect girls, protect girls. We're not forcing boys to marry at age 14. We're forcing girls to marry at age 14. And what happens to them? They end up having children. They end up dealing with obstetric um, fistula. The, their education is stunted. They can't take care of the children. There's so many issues that occur. And again, it comes back to the girl child. This disparity in how we treat the girl child versus the male child is what is really hampering on many levels the, the, the attainment of um, human rights to begin with, as well as equity and equality in this country and the development of the nation. When you have your 50, that 50% that is viewed as a sexual object, objectified in so many ways, it's very troubling. Dr. Amma is speaking on the issues of sexual assault in Nigeria. We'll take a break now when we return. We'll find out if there are alternative solutions apart from punishing the crime, which in my opinion is reactive rather than proactive. Stay with us. You have been listening to Thinking Reimagined. Changing the mindset for a better global society. Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Anna on the Thinking Reimagined podcast. My name is Nefabio Guntoye. Dr. Anna, is there a way we can appeal to moral uprightness in the part of potential abusers? And how can this be done? Um, I'm going to bring in a little thought here. We do know from research that pedophilia is a misalignment in the brain. There have been studies done on this, um, which makes children uh, appealing to certain adults. I know that that is not widely known on this part of the world, but it is known elsewhere. And there have been tests and they're still carrying on tests on how they can help them to realign their brain, to recognize that it is inappropriate to see a child in that manner and to act on it. The two things here, to see and then to act on it. I have always been an advocate for education. And I, I, I say it because I think it's the low hanging fruit. And the solutions are numerous, but I do believe that at an early age, and I, I referenced this earlier, at a very early age, we need to start to teach our children to recognize what their rights are. And part of their rights is recognizing that their bodies are theirs and no one has the right to touch their bodies, but also to create the space where they can speak within their families or at a school as to what's going on. We also need to go into the community and educate the community. You know, we speak about all the laws that are in Nigeria, but we, we haven't broken it down into bite size where everyone can understand what it means in different languages. 
because we've got language barriers. If things are written in legal form in, in English and you don't understand English, then how are you going to get that information? So I do think that we need to break it down into bite size where it is um, provided in multiple languages. We also have to go into the community and teach the parents, particularly the mothers, because they're usually the first ones to identify when something has changed with their child or the ones that the child will go to. But mothers need to be less reactive and really be more proactive in terms of making sure that that act is reported and dealt with. It doesn't matter if the perpetrator is the father or the uncle or the grandfather or a friend or a neighbor or a complete stranger. A violation is a violation and it must be dealt with. Very often it isn't. And when you talked about blame earlier, sometimes you're right, even the mothers will turn around and blame the child. How do you blame a child of two or three who has been violated? What do they know about what's going on? They don't. It's your role as a mother, as a parent, as a community member to ensure that the child is protected. So we have to look at the solutions in terms of education. We have to look at what the um, security forces, our agencies are doing in terms of the law. Um, it's a much broader umbrella that we must look at. So uh, at this point in time, I, I think that going to the schools going to the communities, um, public address information, translating the laws into other languages so that everybody understands, um, pushing for the child rights to be enacted in all states. These are all the things that we must do. But I also think it's important, as you and I spoke about earlier, that we begin to define sexual assault versus rapes versus sexual violence versus indecent assault. Um, so that people know that um, catcalls, which is non-contact, is actually a violation. So there could be such thing as verbal harassment in the place of work. But you, you mentioned the law enforcement agencies earlier. And we're going to return very briefly to alternative solutions. But there's this constant bad blood between the people and the police. And this distrust has been built over the years based on certain experiences. But if we don't trust the police and the justice system to do their job, then we'll be taking laws into our hands. Um, in the case that we're profiling on this episode, um, just recently it trended on Twitter that police was planning to release the suspect this Friday. It turned out to be false um, when the Lagos State Police Commissioner was going to react to it. You know, distrust like these have filled stuff like jungle justice, situation where you, you know, you catch someone in the act and then you just throw tires on their necks and burn them. Rape is bad, it has become a pandemic, but we cannot also take laws into our hands. If we do, there's the possibility of accusing certain people wrongly and that's another problem entirely. What do you consider to be the way forward in a situation where our justice system is still evolving? Uh, 
Nifemi, I am never going to support any kind of jungle justice or taking the law into your hand because we live in, I like to believe, a civilized global society. Um, and um, the most important thing is always to turn over the individual, the evidence, whatever it is you have, and to stand behind it. Very often families come and start begging, communities start begging, and the matter dissolves. But it doesn't really dissolve because the victim lives with it for life and then begins to think that it's appropriate behavior when somebody else does it. And, and, and then it just carries on into other avenues. So um, maybe there's going to be some sort of reform where we look more closely as a society as to what we do when these kinds of situations arise. There is no doubt that the justice system in Nigeria is very slow. Um, you know, people can sit around for decades and, and not go to trial. But that is not the issue here. The issue is about reporting a crime and for the crime to be addressed in the court system and for it to go through the entire system. But more importantly, let's get the data. Very often when you ask how many cases were reported, you will get that or how many were successfully tried and you run into a roadblock because they don't keep accurate data. The more data you have, the more you can pay, bring attention to why this is a priority. And I think that's important. This is not a data gathering culture, but it needs to be because then you can actually show people in this year, these are the amount of cases that were reported these are the amount of cases that were successfully tried. These are the people who are on the sexual offense registry. It is important, but we also have to think about psychological um, support for the victims. That is not a subject that's usually um, discussed, but we must do that as well. And incidentally, what I was trying to remember before is the statute of limitation. You cannot have a statute of limitation when you're dealing with issues of sexual assault with children because children have a way of delaying or before they display the or trust anyone to speak about the matter i think this particular one the child was seven and now she's 14 and it almost happened again how can you put those kinds of limitation on a child who's trying to process all the information that's coming to them um th there needs to be a longer window for for perpetrators to to be bought to book and the state at some point in time needs to make it a priority to address these issues and take over from whether the family wants to file the case or not it's a state matter and the state indeed, is responsible for the safety and security of its citizens indeed dr Amma, we're rounding up now um it is considered a level of madness to uh, violently uh, or sexually attack a person or rape another individual but it's indeed a higher level of madness when you defile a child and i hear you say earlier that there seems to be a condition that makes children appealing to certain men in our pursuit to be proactive rather than reactive would you say that as a country we are exhaustively considering the psychiatric dimension to this that perhaps we can have men who are wearing suits and tie, who are successful in their businesses or in their career, but who still have issues to be dealt with upstairs. Oh, absolutely. A perpetrator can be dressed in some of the finest clothing you can imagine. Doesn't change the fact that they're a perpetrator. They're, they're, they're perpetrators. They are 
sexually when you're talking about um, pedophiles. Um, pedophiles are, are amongst us all the time. You just don't know it. And, and they operate in such a, um, what's the word I'm looking for, incestuous way. Uh, and they, they, they know their victims. They can find their victims. I mean, let's be honest, the people who travel the world just to have a chance to be with a child. It is a well-known fact. It's well-documented globally. So if you're not able to perform the act in your own country, you go to another country and you do it. It's still a sexual act. It is, a, sorry, a sexual assault on a child. So no, Nigeria is not at the place where it's beginning to look at the psychiatric angle in terms of dealing with pedophilia. Um, and I'm saying pedophilia because you're talking about children now specifically, as opposed to um, sexual violence on a larger scale, but it needs to be addressed and it needs to be brought up uh, as another angle. But how do you catch them? And what are you going to do when you find them? Uh, the perpetrators amongst us and, and many pedophilia, people who just find younger children attractive. And I know you keep saying girls, yes, I want us to emphasize girls because a larger proportion of the victims are girls, but I don't want us to forget the boys because they are also victims. Executive Director Lever Bordenfey, Dr. Ama, thank you for sharing your thoughts on this issue. We'll keep tabs on the seven, um, on the popular Nigerian actor, actor's case, hopefully Jason will resume after the strike. I've told that the, the strike will now be skeletal in Lagos. Uh, judiciary workers are expected to resume, I think, three days a week. So the case is expected to now be turned over to the court. And we'll be back in subsequent episodes to see how all of this play out. I am Nifemi Okuntoye. See you again. Thank you for listening to Thinking Reimagined. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast and welcome your comments, insights and learnings as we strive to transform our global society. A change in mindset, engagement, collaboration, dialogue, awareness and education. Thinking Reimagined. Changing the mindset. mindset.